everyone. Amen. Amen. All right, turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, we are going to continue uh, in our series on the doctrine of the church. And now we are in church officers. We've just finished up with uh, pastor. Now we're going to move on to deacon. And then we're also going to talk a little bit about what the Bible calls evangelist. And, and it's, it's not what we call evangelist, but we'll, uh, we'll just talk about that just a little bit. Amen. <clears throat> All right, the deacon. All right, so uh, first Tim- whoop. yeah, I'm in Mark. That's great. First Timothy chapter three, of course, uh, the first few verses there we've already looked at are about about the uh, the bishop or the pastor. Okay, verse eight. So we're going to go on to verse eight. First <clears throat> Timothy chapter three and in verse eight. Likewise, like. Uh, the description they give for uh, the pastor. Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. That's a very interesting way to say that. Okay, And let these also first be proved, then let them also use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so, must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Father, we thank you for the day. We ask that you'd bless as we look at uh, these uh, thoughts tonight about the deacons and then possibly the evangelist. And we ask that you'd help us to be attentive and willing and ready. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You are already seated. <laughs> All right. Now, many of you are familiar with church here and how things have been done here. Uh, some of you are also familiar that in other churches, uh, the term deacon has become, has, has become something that is extremely unbiblical. As a matter of fact, even some churches now, basically, the deacon board actually runs the church, and then the, uh, you know, the pastor just kind of shows up and preaches, and the deacon's the actual leadership, um, meaning that pastors come and go, but the deacons will always be here, as if, you know, that that lends them some power outside of what biblical has given them. Okay, uh, in some things, deacons has come to mean things like a um, a church representative to go up to one of those larger groups we talked about uh, to bring back the mandates from the denominational headquarters or something like that. But what does the Bible say? As a matter of fact, just the word deacon all by itself gives us a pretty good description of what the Bible thinks a deacon is. Okay, it comes from the Greek word diakonos or diakonos. Okay. And uh, it means, does anybody, does anybody already, probably some of you already know what it means. Does anybody know what it means? Because the same word deacon is translated as, as another word in scripture. Servant. The word deacon is a servant. A servant, okay? 
a servant or if you want to say minister, but it's not a minister as a preacher, minister in our term, but someone who ministers to the needs of others. So a servant or a minister. That's why uh, Matthew 20, 28 uses some of the same terminology and calls Jesus as the chief deacon, almost, the chief of servants, because he, he was the first servant uh, to all of us. So what is the role of a deacon? Because we already looked at the pastor. The pastor is the, is the leader, the, the feeder. You know, the, so that's the pastor's role. So what, if the pastor, if we put it this way, if the pastor is the leader of the church, the deacon is the servant of the church. Now, that's not to say a pastor is not also a servant. Matter of fact, he should be a servant. But if we could just describe them in a role format, the pastor being the leader, okay, the deacons being the servant, diaconos, kind of right in there, okay? The pastor ministers in spiritual things, and the deacons were to come along and help in temporal things, the earthly things, okay? And how often, again, we've talked about this, these things are reversed a lot. Now, for us that grew up as, as independent Baptists, at least generally speaking in the U.S., we're pretty familiar with how a deacon is, what the roles are supposed to be, but there are many other places where these roles are swapped, uh, where the deacons are supposedly the spiritual leaders and the pastor is just the servant of that leadership group or whatever else it might be. The deacons are the perpetual operators of the church, controlling all the businesses, the finances, and the pastor, and yes, that happens. Um, it's why I have trouble with some things. That's why I'm glad when our kids go to Heartland, that they, they don't go to church at Heartland. That's, a, a college is not a local church. They go to a local church. Um, while I love the college Pensacola for what it does for um, liberal arts, uh, if you're a student there and are not a member of an outside church, you're supposed to attend their campus church. And they have a pastor of something that's not a church and the one of the leadership uh, one of the female leadership of Pensacola has to approve all those messages for that guy can even preach it in the pulpit at what's supposed to be a Baptist college I have a problem with that I don't know if you do or not uh, that's an issue that's an issue now I don't know if that's all still the same there might be have been some adjustments in the last couple of years uh, but you know, uh, Pensacola has put out some very good uh, secret service agents and lawyers and nurses, uh, but I'm not going to send my guys down there to learn doctrine by any stretch. Is everybody okay? Okay. So, so it is generally accepted that the seven men that were chosen in Acts chapter 6 as deacons, okay, they were chosen literally to serve tables. Literally. That's what the job was. The, if you remember that, I'll just kind of give you a uh, a rehash that the, the large group was it was very very large and evidently there was some sort of a cultural thing within the church where they would there would somebody go around every week and collect food resources and money of some whatever and then that would be redistributed to all of the widows that were inside the church body okay and it got to a point that um, there was a little bit of politics going on, and maybe the pastors were the ones doing this, is maybe what it appears to be. I'm not sure. Um, but there got to be some, a little bit of politics between the, the, the Gentile groups and the Hebrew groups, or the, not the Gentile groups, the Jews who had grown up in Gentile areas or Greek areas and were more what they call Hellenized. They weren't strictly religious Jews. 
And so they complained about it. Like, hey, we're getting... And so the deacons were born forth out of this. So the pastor said, hey, it's not fit that we should, we should leave the work of preaching and prayer to serve tables. So let's you guys appoint from among you seven men that we can appoint over this business. And so the seven men were then supposed to take care of, literally, that particular business, which was a service and a, a being a servant to the church. It was a temporal thing. Um, that, I hope you know that, but feeding people physically is temporal. That's of the earth. That's of the body. Feeding people, feeding people spiritually, that's spiritual. That's preaching. Okay? So, so just that, that's the start. That's kind of the start of the role. And we're going to look at some things a, a little further along, but let's just look at these qualifications. There are basically eight, eight right here directly. Okay? And then we're going to come back and give a few more out of another chapter. But out of this passage, so in verse 8, verse 8, okay, it says, number one, the deacons must be grave. That doesn't mean they need to have headstones on their head. Okay, I know that was a dad joke, but you give me, you know, give me a courtesy laugh at least there. <laughs> Very good. What this means is... Um, they're not a clown. Okay? That doesn't mean that they can't enjoy having fun or that there's not, they're not uh, joking by any stretch. It just means that there's some obvious maturity there. Does that make sense? Uh, the idea being that they're serious, about, they're serious about this business. They'll be devoted to it. Um, they're considered an honorable man to fit the place. And dignified. Uh, dignified is always such a loose word because it's a very subjective word. You ever notice? Dignified is subjective. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? There are people I've met who look dignified who aren't dignified. <laughs> okay? The idea being is that they're, they're someone that would be respected to fill the position. Okay? Respected, not expected. Respected and serious about the position. Okay? They're mature. And maybe they have a little bit of tact. That'd be alright? I think a deacon probably ought to be just a hair tactful. As much as it can be? All right. Verse 8. Be not double-tongued. Double Double-tongued. Isn't that weird? means we have to have a tongue inspection before every deacon vote, right? Not funny. That sounds crazy. But now there are actually people that have split their tongue. That's kind of weird. But hey. <laughs> yeah. um, this is what that means. He's got to be a man of integrity. Let, let me put it to you this way. He's not two-faced. He's not one thing here and another thing at work. He's not one thing here and another thing at the bank. You get the picture? That's what the idea of double tongue means. Um, speaking the same thing the same way to all people, generally speaking. It's referencing very specifically the mouth here, but it's basically saying consistently you're saying the same thing. You're not double tongued. Okay? Verse 8. Oh, okay, so... Oh, here comes Pastor Cooper. He's coming up. Do you see that awful, ugly dress? Oh, and his hair is hiding my brother Cooper. Miss, come on in. Oh, you look lovely, Mrs. Cooper. <laughs> Do I hear the picture? Did I get the picture? Not double-tongued. Okay, anyways. Are you all here today? Barely. I understand that. All right. <laughs> all right. Also in verse 8, be not given to much wine. Again, I'm going to repeat this. People have always... Uh, 
fussed about the fact that the Bible does not clearly say thou shalt not ever, forever, always touch alcohol. That's because cultures change and availability of things to drink changes dramatically and medicine, uh, access to medicine changes, okay? But the Bible is extremely clear about strong drink. Extremely clear. If you don't understand that God hates strong drink, and he tells us not to be, and Paul even says, I'll not be brought under the power of any. Okay, is everybody here? I'm trying to be straight up honest with you. I could just say, bless God if you, if, you, know, you should. If you even touch alcohol, you're going to hell, and don't ever touch the stuff. But that's not what the Bible says. Okay, why? Because a lot of medicine that you take, even some that you buy off the counter, guess what has in it? Anybody here ever drank NyQuil? Yeah, you had a pretty good fifth right there, didn't you? Or maybe a quarter. Uh, no, fifth. What's a twentieth? Okay. I even had a doctor one time tell me he had such a serious sinus infection. He said, you need to go down and get some Jack Daniels. I'm like, no, listen to me. Well, you can talk all you want, but I ain't doing it. I ain't doing it. But uh, there are times when they don't have the medical advancements we do today. Is everybody here? And alcohol or, or that thing was the only kind of painkiller that there was. Okay? I think I've mentioned before, there was a long time in Germany where you, if you drank the water, you're going to die from infection. The only thing you could drink is something that had been, had been heated, had been cooked. And most of the time what they had then was beer that has less alcohol content than, than some of our uh, grape juice been, that's been left out on the cupboard too long. Okay? So it, the idea that, that there's a reason that God, the, the Bible doesn't have the specific forget it forever but it does very clear about strong drink. Okay? That's why we don't have microbrew uh, parties here at the church. Like, duh. Okay? And so I'm not given to much wine. Again, um, the idea here, so if you get the idea, oh, so he can have a little wine. No. <laughs> no, we don't want this dude to be a drunk. And we don't want him to help drunks out either. Okay? Okay? Uh, have you ever talked to someone, ever talked to a contractor, and you're smelling a little something on their breath, and you're like, is this the breath, or is their cologne funky? And you're going, do I really want to trust this contractor? And he's talking to you like, no problem at all, he's right in the conversation, but you're going, hmm, wonder if I should be trust what's going on here, okay? Same, same goes, in our, in our culture, there's no reason why a believer needs to drink anything that's got liquor in it, apart from medicine. Mm-hmm. Everybody here? Okay. If you got other questions, come talk to me. There's lots of different versions of that, but come and talk to me. Okay. Verse 8, not greedy or filthy lucre. Okay. Now, it's interesting here because most deacons, that's not a paid position. But it's still not to be greedy or filthy lucre. Okay. Isn't that interesting? Think, think about this possibility. Now, it could be that, especially I think about the church in Jerusalem, it might have been so large that they actually did have to pay some of those guys because it would have been a, a possibly a full-time job. I could see some of that being a little bit of a, a possibility, but generally, let's look at it this way. Um, the vision of his heart is not how can I meet my needs, but how can I meet others' needs. Okay, is everybody here? It's not how can I get take care of me, but how can I help take care of 
the others, the, those that are in the church. Those, uh, because if you're dealing with ministration, if you're dealing with serving others, your heart does need to be on serving others, not what I benefit from it. Okay? Um, and obviously, in any kind of daily ministrations of a church, there can be money involved. There can be, there can be uh, resources involved. Can there not? Yes, there can be. So uh, we don't want somebody who is uh, looking to make money. Now, well, how are we supposed to know that? Watch the rest of their life. Uh, this is not complicated. Come on now. Uh, this is a probably an okay spot, especially at our church, to kind of talk about this just a minute. Okay? If someone makes every one of their decisions based on how much money it benefits them out of the decision... You probably want to second guess whether you're going to put them into a deacon position. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If every one of their decisions is based on how much money am I going to make on this? How does this benefit my 401k? How does this benefit my investments? How does this help me buy my new car? If that's all he ever talks about, he's probably not deacon material. Okay? Not greedy or filthy lucre. Amen. Sometimes we get caught off guard, though, don't we? I know here, don't I? I need more feedback tonight to make sure I keep moving along here. All right. Verse 9. Verse 9. This is such an interesting statement. Holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Now, uh, the mysteries in the Word of God are all revealed to us. Anything that God calls a mystery, mystery in the Word of God is revealed to us. Now, there are mysteries that God does not call mysteries, like, you know, what color is the east and west streets on heaven, in heaven going to be? You know, are there going to be east-west streets? Well, we don't have to know that, so we don't. But there, there's, there, what we're talking about is the doctrine of the faith, the Word of God itself, okay? Um, a deacon ought to be able to, if someone looks at them and says, well, how can I be saved? A deacon ought to be able to say, here's the plan of salvation. A deacon should, at least generally speaking, should be able to give an answer in regard to why a church stands where they stand or say, you know, give me, give me till tomorrow, I'll get back to you. But it shouldn't be like, oh no. A deacon should have a, an, a, a grasp, generally speaking, on this is why our church stands where we stand. Why? Because people are going to look to those deacons often to say, listen, I'm having some trouble. For some reason, you know, it can be no matter how approachable the preacher is. There's something about the position of pastor and having an office. Some people just immediately go, huh, and I have no idea why. And I try to tell people, listen, I worked for a guy who was considered unapproachable. I approached him all the time and about some pretty intense stuff and I'm sure I'm way more approachable than he is. <laughs> now all the guys that might be halfway interested in my daughter say I'm they're questioning that and I'm fine with that by the way, that's fine. They, if, they, if they're not man enough to get over the look on my face and they ain't worth it for my daughters. But anyways, um, just because I'm like this doesn't mean I'm mad, it just means I might be thinking about something trying to figure out what I'm going to do. But the deacons ought to be the same way. Sometimes people feel more comfortable going to a deacon or who's considered a pillar of the faith. Oh, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. 
There's nothing wrong with going to a man in the church that you consider to be a pillar of the faith and asking questions. And so he should, it's someone who should know, should have some grasp of Scripture and be able to explain a few things. But the pure conscience part is an interesting one. Um, when it, so this is interesting. Holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. In other words, when he gives an answer, he needs to be convinced that he's got the right answer. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back that up by telling you, I have, in the last two years, maybe three now, I have talked with men called to preach who were seriously called to preach, serious about the ministry, but could not answer some straightforward questions. We're not sure about them. They did not have a clean conscience on where to come down on the question, on the answer. Like on what Bible we should use, what really is salvation, you know, what's, how do we exactly say this? Uh, there's several things we could talk about. What, how has authority worked? Last two, and it's interesting because you give them Bible and they still can't come down on the right answer. And at some point you're saying, if you can't have an answer, why are you doing this? Because you have to have an answer eventually. Amen. The Bible is not totally unclear. Matter of fact, most things it's quite clear. And a deacon is someone who, when he stands on something and he stands on it strongly, he should have a very clear conscience about why he's standing there. Everybody here? It's not always true that people who raise their voice know they've lost the fight. That's not always true. Beware about cold-blooded statements like that because they're not always true. But you and your heart know when you're suddenly going out on the limb to support a fact that you're only kind of sure about and you really couldn't sit down and point at some verses. Well, doesn't it say in First Hezekiah? You know what I'm saying? A, clear, a pure conscience be able to say, this is what the Bible says, and that's where I'm standing. Now, it doesn't mean he can't be corrected, but he's got a, a pure conscience about how he's handling that and how to apply that to life situations, amen? Uh, no doubts about how to handle the Word of God, or at least say, well, well doesn't the Bible say this? It doesn't mean that someone who's got to be, like, all knowledgeable. It's not what we're saying. It's amazing to me sometimes, you, you can, like, um, I love talk, when we get into, like, a, a farmer region. Now, I know there's farmers around here, but I'm talking about, like, the middle of Minnesota where everybody for, like, four generations, that's all we've ever done is farm, okay? And they'll sit out on those tractors, and all they have time to do is sit and think about something. And it's funny, because you'll preach something on Sunday, and they'll be coming back Wednesday going, you know, I was thinking about that this week, and... I mean, and their brain, and sometimes it's, sometimes the answers they come up with are like, I wish I would have thought to be able to say it so simply. Doesn't mean someone's got to be able to examine, you know, well, from this theological and from the teleological aspect and from the ontological aspect, sometimes it can just be someone with some good, plain, common sense wisdom going, well, doesn't the Bible say all? Yes, it does. Yeah, so why are we talking about this? Amen. 
We all, you know, when you overthink something and you mention it to someone, bouncing the idea off and they're going, isn't this the truth? Well, yeah. Why are you still working this over? Anyway, so you get the picture. Pure conscience. There's lots of other verses you could look at here. Um, uh, we could go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, 1 Timothy 5. I mean, there's just several other things here we could look at. But holding the faith in a pure conscience. Number 6, verse 10. Be blameless. Let them be found blameless. Okay? That's not a passive qualification. Okay? It doesn't mean that he's, he's a, 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 he doesn't do anything. Okay? Or there's no reason. He's actively not blameless. And it's something that we have actively looked at to see if he's blameless. Okay? His, the idea of being a servant's heart should be something that is tested. It, now, if it's someone who nobody knows, that testing can be active, but generally that happens because of what we already know of the man's life. That testing has already come and gone, and we've seen the results of it. In other words, if there are no results of those tests, he can't be a deacon. Is everybody here? There's no evidence as to whether he could be blameless or not be blameless. He hasn't, you know, there's, he hasn't gone through enough. That doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean age. Some, some young men have gone through much that older men have not. But generally it comes with age, but that's not a, that's not a solid thing. Okay? Something that his servant's heart should be something that is proven. We've seen it. It's tested. It's a result. Uh, he should be blameless. Okay? Same general realm, but also as the pastor. Verse 12, husband of one wife. Same story. Um, not a polygamist. And, and not having two wives, meaning he's been divorced. The Bible sees the divorce as a, as a second wife or a, the ex-wife. Okay? So both pastors and deacons must not be uh, polygamists. I have to say that here. It's funny. Everywhere else you go, you don't have to add the word polygamist. But in this realm, you do have to say that because that is obviously also what it means. So most other places, you're not too worried about that being an issue. That was... Seriously and a joke at the same time. Okay. I think y'all are halfway here today. Okay. Verse 12. Verse 12. Oh, you're just tired. I get it. Let the deacons be the husbands of wife. Husbands of wife. One wife ruling their children and their own houses well. Same, same realm as we just talked about with the pastor. He exercises loving leadership in his home. His wife, his wife is a person who is submissive to him. She's not an obvious um, problem. Okay? Now, wives can be different. All ladies can be different. Like, guys are all different. But it's not the guy says one thing and the wife immediately corrects him every time he says something. That guy's probably not deacon material. Okay? And maybe not because of him, it might be because of his wife. Okay? She's the one who has to subject herself. But anyways, his wife must be submissive to him, and his children should, should be, generally speaking, well-disciplined and respectful. As much as children can be, uh, but I think in our culture we do understand what that means. Amen? Go get me a glass of water. Okay. I always get it. Okay. Okay. Everybody here? Acts chapter 6. So now we're going to go back. That's, that's the ones that are here. So let's go back to Acts chapter 6. and Because this is where they actually elected deacons the first time. Acts chapter 6. Okay, so when, 
when they tell them to select men from among them, we get to verse 3, we have a few qualifications here. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report. Okay, that's, that's their public testimony. Okay, that's their public testimony. Uh, how people know them. In our town, people know, people know here. I, you know, I, I mean, I run out, when I'm out in town, I run into people all the time that know, you know, John used to be the barber, or they know Greg from Franklin, or Jerry and Greg from golf, um, or Brother Zane from when he delivered, or from, I mean, I, I'm all the time meeting people, I, the Levdonskis, I've met several people that know Levdonskis, and then I always have to make sure, now are you talking about Andy or his uncle Andy, which one are we talking about, the, you know? But it's, but it's interesting because you may not know it, but the people, I, when I first got here, everybody in town knew Chester. I couldn't run into anybody in town that didn't know Chester. It was crazy. But you all have a reputation in town. And what is that reputation? Then that's what this is talking about, okay? The, of, of honest report refers to their public testimony and character, okay? Uh, all right, the next one. Proverbs I'm sorry. Verse 3. Seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost. They must be spirit-filled individuals. What does that mean? They're spirit-led, not flesh-led. Okay? They're led by the things of the Spirit. They're controlled by the things of the Spirit. They're not controlled by the, the attitudes, actions, and desires of the flesh and the world. Okay. I think that's somewhat self-explanatory. They're concerned about the things of the Lord. Those are preeminent in their heart and mind. It doesn't mean they don't have a job. It doesn't mean they can't function in the, in the, in the world as it is. But the central focus of their life is not one that's constantly pulled off by the things of the world and by, uh, by the things of the flesh. Amen. Amen. All right. Always cracked me up when I was an assistant pastor. It's one of those things that would always just steam me as a, and I'd be in the pastor's office going how can we put up with this you know and uh, what do we, how do we do it different but it would be we have a we'd have like a revival or a missions conference let's just say a missions conference same time every year every year we get this, we send out calendars it's on social media. It's on the announcements. It's on the papers in the announcements. When you go to the bathroom, it's on the door of the bathroom. I mean, we had it everywhere. And somehow, there was like three faithful families would be out on vacation during the week of missions conference. That's not spiritually minded. That's fleshly minded. Now, sometimes there are conflicts that cannot be fixed. Understandable. Is everybody here? But when your missions conference, generally speaking, is the same time every year, or you got good, you can find out, and you just always happen to be out that week. I want you to stop and think about that, because the devil wouldn't be interested in trying to distract you from doing that, would he? Okay, all right. So full of the Holy Ghost, and then full of wisdom is what it finishes up with. I keep looking on the wrong side of the page. Men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. This situation, I just want to look at the whole situation that they're, that they're walking into, okay? Everybody connect the dots here. Hey, guys, you seven guys, we are turning over to you a problem that has politics involved. 
this group thinks they're getting mistreated by that group and there probably is some people from that group who don't mind that group getting mistreated and the two are angry at each other <coughs> at the same time they're believers and they know they need to get it right and they should get it right so um, it's going to take some thinking it's going to take some wisdom it's going to take someone to walk in the middle of two people fighting and instead of just telling them to shut up and sit down to listen and work out, work out solutions is everybody here? Amen. Work out solutions. Find a, find a good way to walk through it. Find maybe some good compromises because in situations like this, nobody, everyone's hardly ever happy. So, finding a good thing. So, full of wisdom. This is a good thing. They need the quality of wisdom. <coughs> and deacons are supposed to be working with people all the time in those kind of situations. And that's what it evidence. So, they need that quality of being able to, you know what the number one quality of wisdom is? Closing this and opening these. Closing this and opening these very, very carefully. And then, of all things, the, the Lord has got to go and meddle. Or maybe it was Paul. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he gets to talking about their wives. So chapter 8, or chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. No, that's not verse 13. 11, verse 11. Amen. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Again, grave. This doesn't mean they're a sourpuss. Alright? It doesn't mean they're ready to crack the rule over, over everybody all the time. It doesn't mean that they can't have fun. It's the same general idea. Of, of, matter of fact, it's the same idea of the deacons being grave. It means they're serious about the things of the Lord. They are devout to, 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 the, to the things of the Lord. Amen. They're, and they're honorable in those things. So their wife must also be those things. Faithful. Faithful. Serious about, about what, what are the things of the Lord. Well, I don't know. What does Ephesians 5 say that the Lord gave his life for and he can't wait to come back to take with him? The church. Amen. Can't be serious about church. Kind of hard to be considered serious about being a deacon. Okay. Be grave. Be grave. It says they should not be a slanderer. Wives must be grave, not slanders. Okay? You want to know what the Greek word is for that, ladies? Diabolos. <laughs> In other words, like diabolical. Or you might go, it's another word. As a matter of fact, it's one of the words for the slanderer, the devil. Uh, Diabolos, the capital D is the devil. Okay? Uh, so slander. Does everybody here? Do you know what slander is? I think everybody here knows what slander is. Hey, did you hear about? Nobody here's ever slandered, have we? Can you believe she wore that? Well, that person thinks that they're gonna they're they're gonna be a big wig, or they're gonna be the next, you know, whatever, whatever. I tell you what. Not a slanderer, okay? There's a lot of passages. So I'm, I'm just going to give you a few verses to write down and look at later in this because we're not spending too much time here. But 2 Thessalonians 3.11. 2 Thessalonians 3.11. This is a place where the same word is used and talked about. 1 Timothy chapter 5. As a matter of fact, I think I looked this one up today. Let me see here. Yes. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. And with all they learned... They and with 
talking about younger widows refuse because they'll, they'll get idle. They'll, they'll start to wax wanton. They'll learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. Not only idle, but tattlers and busybodies. Tattlers also and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. Well, I probably shouldn't say this. Stop! <laughs> then don't. Okay? I will therefore that the younger woman marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak re- reproachfully. So the idea there, you know, again, keep your mouth shut. First Peter 4.15, Proverbs 16, 27 and 28, Proverbs 18 and 8, Proverbs 20 and 19, Proverbs 26, 20 through 22. Psalm 101, verse 5, and Leviticus 19.16a. So, be grave, not be slanders. Then it says, be sober, which is the same as we had again from, uh, from the, the previous things here, from the, from the pasture and the, of the idea of, again, from the being grave again, the whole thing. Okay? And be faithful in all things. Be faithful, it says there, in all things. Verse 11 Faithful in all things. Amen. That's a good one. I want to think about that. There's something church to be done. The deacon's there and so is the wife. You hear connect the dots? They've got something that ladies are going to meet over here. The wife is there. Ladies are going to do this for... for a family, she's involved. Okay, she's faithful in all things to the Lord and to His church. She is she is actively and endeavoring to forward the work of the church faithfully uh, to the Lord and His church. You could also add Titus two, three and five on there. Now, go back to Acts in chapter six. We're going to just kind of look at this a little bit. Acts chapter six. Oops, that's Judges. It's a little too far. Took a hard right. Acts and chapter 6. The selection of deacons, and we've, we just recently preached on this, so I'm not going to spend too much time on these points, as we, we just recently preached on it, the first of the year. <coughs> okay, Acts, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, as the passage where, they again, they've, they've elected it. But I want us to think about this because we have gotten the habit of thinking that if you have a church, they have to have deacons. That's not true. This church did not put in deacons until they had over 8,000 members and needed them. I want you to think about that. And the reason I say that is because I think even amongst independent Baptist churches, we've taken to looking at the deacon position as a place of Honor, importance, power. And people like to have that, even if they want to be a servant, but the flesh desires those things. But we have to maybe be careful about this thought that a church has to have a deacon or deacons. It doesn't have to have deacons. Again, this church has already been in, already been in place, in position. Um, as a matter of fact, when Paul was planting churches, he was not told to ordain deacons. He was told to ordain elders in every church. Now, that doesn't mean it's not a good thing, but let me just put it this way. There, are, there should be multiple men in every church who are capable and able to fulfill the qualifications and the position of deacon, if necessary, at any time. 
that these deacons were taken from amongst the church body that existed as it was already. So you connect the dot. In other words, men, the qualifications for a deacon are not something that's like this high-end, upper-class Christian. They're, that's like, that's kind of like the standard of what men ought to seek to be to begin with as believers. And then when there are needs, they can, they're already there to, to add an extra responsibility to, to their uh, themselves to keep fulfilling, help forwarding the, the, the position of the church. Now, in other words, what are you saying? You don't have to be called a deacon to fulfill the role of a deacon. There's plenty of, there's plenty of places where you can be a servant without having to be called deacon. I, I think I've told you all before, but when my dad pastored, um, <laughs> I still I don't know the whole story. Maybe when I get to heaven, I'll hear I'll hear the rest of it. But there got to be a fuss about who got what position, and I think it actually started in the bus ministry, but it it, it flowed over as to who was bus captain and bus driver and who was this and who was that. Well, I'm the deacon. Well, I'm the head Sunday school teacher. And my dad said, "Okay, fine. There's no more. There's no more titles. No more titles. There's the pastor and the people. No titles." And a whole bunch of people quit. <laughs> Nothing changed except they weren't called something anymore. And guess what? That's when we found out who the servants were. Because suddenly people who cared about it but didn't think that they were worthy of it. Well, somebody's got to drive that. Preacher, would you mind if I drove the bus? I'd love for you to drive the bus. You hear what I'm saying? Well, what does a bus captain do? He's just got to knock on doors and invite kids to come to church. Oh, I can do that. Well, there you go. Why don't you just come on in here and take no titles? Well, eventually all those titles came back. But it's funny. That, it's funny what, what we as humans, oh, that must have been a, a simple community. Yeah, small town. Aren't we a small town? You know what I'm saying? We do, we do, get, a, we do get something on that, those title thingies. So, uh, deacons, deacons are to be elected when required. Uh, typically we keep them because I'm just frankly, if a church has a building and maintenance and 60 people that attend regularly at, at any age, of any length, deacons are, are very much a big help. Okay? Very much a big help. So deacons, deacons are not necessary in every church, but they, if they're required, we should elect them. Again, deacons are to be elected when called for by the pastors. We need some deacons. Let's call them up. Deacons are to be elected with consideration of qualification. There were qualifications. Deacons are to be elected from within the church membership. We're not going to go down to, you know, another church in town and get one of their deacons to come over here. That's not how it works, okay? Um, deacons are to be elected by the church, and they are to be put under the direction of the pastor, and they are to be proved, tested. There must, there must be a, a resulting uh, test results from their life, whether that is done in, privacy, in private by some men of the church, or whether that's already obvious from the life that is lived. All right. So let's just real quick look at one thing more, and that's the Bible. New Testament talks about an evangelist. Now, an evangelist is not a church officer, okay? So I want to be careful about that, but the Bible does talk about the evangelist, and even says that the the pastor is supposed to do the work of an evangelist, but there, there is someone in the New Testament who was specifically called an evangelist, and there are several others who we know did the work 
of an evangelist. Okay? Again, he's not a church officer. Okay? Um, but the Bible does say, let me think here, uh, what, what is the primary function of the church? It's to evangelize. You know, you know what the word evangel means? Is you're the messenger of the good news, essentially. You're a messenger of the good news. I think I might have paraphrased that a little bit, but that's the idea. Uh, an evangelist is, an, is a messenger of the good news. Now, so let me tell you what an evangelist is not. An evangelist is not, and this, is, this might offend some people, but I'm just telling you, it's not in the Bible. Um, an evangelist is not someone who holds citywide meetings in a large stadium. That's not an evangelist. Not, not, by, not according to the Bible. They can call themselves an evangelist. They're not. Now, this, one, this, one, this one's going to mess you up. We use the term evangelist as a term of respect, but it's also not an itinerant preacher who conducts four or seven day meetings at Baptist, or revivals at Baptist churches. It's also not a biblical evangelist. Now, sometimes we call them an evangelist. We, we did ourselves as a missionary evangelist. But I'm telling you, having traveled in evangelism and having done all this stuff, it's easy as an evangelist to come in and hype everybody up and see a short-term change, and when you come back the next year, everything's exactly like it was in the, the previous year. So you can get all excited about the revival meeting that's going to happen because the evangelist is here, but if all it does is give you an emotional hype that lasts a couple weeks and dies, which, by the way, a lot of Baptists get involved in a lot of things that do that. Woohoo! Two weeks. Two weeks later, back to normal. Okay? What an evangelist is not. Okay? Well, there's nothing wrong with those activities. There's nothing wrong with someone being an itinerant preacher and being a help and a blessing to the church, coming in and preaching revival. There's nothing wrong with those activities. That's not the biblical purpose or definition of an evangelist. Okay? Provided, nothing wrong with them, provided they don't uh, use compromising methods or compromise the church in what they're doing. Okay? Um, as a matter of fact, most modern-day evangelists like we have right now are the product of what we would call the Great Awakening, if, if you're familiar. And by the way, a lot of Baptists weren't involved in the Great Awakening except for receiving the people that actually did get saved as a result, ended up joining Baptist churches. So we, we had our own revival going on at the time under a man by the name of Shubal Stearns who planted thousands of churches of which many are still in existence today or their children and great-grandchildren churches are still in existence today and it wasn't something that lasted two years and died. It's still going. But anyways, we'll just keep on rolling. This year, I'm not a big fan of the Great Awakening. Got quiet on that one. Okay, so what an evangelist is. In contrast with the office of a pastor, the Bible says very little about the evangelist. Does anybody know the name of the one person the Bible calls an evangelist? In the New Testament, the book of Acts. Philip, yep, Philip. Philip is called the evangelist, okay? What did Philip do? Well, number one, Philip was a deacon in a church. He's one of the deacons selected in Acts chapter 6 as, as, a, as one of the deacons. So, here we go. That's, and then in Acts chapter 21, verse 8, where he's called an evangelist. And that the next day we were... That we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven, 
deacons and abode with him. Acts chapter 21 and verse 8. Okay? By looking at the life of Philip, I'm going to give you some passages and see what, we, what do they do. What does an evangelist do? While Philip preached Christ. That was Acts chapter 8, verse 5 and 30. Well, just turn to Acts chapter 8. You're already probably in Acts. <clears throat> Acts chapter 8, look here in verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. So an evangelist should be preaching Christ. Look also down at verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Okay? So number one, an evangelist should preach Christ. He needs to be a gospeler. Literally, the, the, the idea there being he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? A messenger of the good news. Uh, number two, an evangelist can baptize. So look at chapter 8 and verse 12. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Okay, now go down and look in verse 38. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. So remember, that's Philip baptizing the Ethiopian eunuch. Okay, so an evangelist is someone who can baptize. Now, I'm going to ask you again, where does the authority to baptize rest? In the church. Okay, so Philip had authority from a church to baptize. Okay, so now the evangelists that come here, do we expect them to baptize? No. Brother, Brother Dave McCracken's going to be coming through. He's an enjoyable. I love, uh, love to have him and, and good looking forward to having him. But he's not baptizing here. He's not a member here. But somehow this evangelist, Philip, is able to baptize with the authority of a church. So keep following me through. Okay, An evangelist essentially is one who is what we would call a missionary. Or a church planter. So look, Acts chapter 8, look down at verse 14. <clears throat> we have to put a few things together here, okay? So remember, this is just after Philip has preached. They've got saved. Verse 12, he's baptized men and women. Uh, verse 14, now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. Not that Philip had preached it. They knew that part but that people that had received what Philip had preached and had been baptized. Well now, guess what? And a group of men, uh, probably pastors or elders uh, from that church, are sent to see what's happening because Philip has gathered a group of believers together, a group of baptized believers collected together in one location. What do we call that? Okay? So what we have here is we've got a, we've got a little baby church, a little baby group of people who are baptized, so verse 14, Peter and John come down. Verse 15, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. In other words, the whole idea being that they, they're approving this group now as a, as a singular body that can meet on their own. They have been put together. So, he has, so Philip has organized a body of believers that is going to be a church. Okay, So a, a church planner. I mean, that's, that's what we would call a church planner. They preach the gospel. They baptize those who respond to the gospel and they put that local group of body together so that another 
Now, this is how we plant churches, by the way. Okay? We don't just kick some guy out to some other town and say, Good luck! <laughs> no. He, he feels called to another town to preach. We, we, we approve him. We authorize him. We, 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 we license him to preach. We, are, we ordain him, possibly, for, for the ministry. We send him out. He preaches. He gathers up a group. He baptizes those under our authority. Okay? So they essentially are members of this church until it's strong enough to be standing its own two legs and then they charter, they become their own little group and then we send them on their way. And the evangelist comes back here and goes out to another spot. Or maybe he stays there instead of no longer being the church planner, he is now the pastor. So everybody connect the dots? Amen. This is, this is really good stuff. So it's a perpetual cycle. Churches send out church planners or evangelists Pastors oversee those evangelists because, remember, Philip was a deacon, one of the seven. Evangelists go out, they preach the gospel, they gather baptized believers, right? Okay? And then now, if you take that just a step further, isn't that what Paul did all through all of his missionary journeys? And what did Paul do? He had authority from the church back at Jerusalem and then at Antioch to ordain elders in those places. What is that? That now we have a pastor and a group of baptized believers in one location. There's a church. A church has been planted. So this is the cycle. Then they come back, report to the church, which, by the way, Paul did every time. You, re- you watch his missionary journeys. He showed responsibility in coming back and reporting to the church that sent him. Uh, so it's a, it's a nice, consistent sa- uh, cycle. So Evangelists see to it that pastors are ordained. Pastors send out evangelists, and evangelists see that pastors are ordained, and pastors send out evangelists. It's kind of a cool cycle. So an evangelist, as the Bible talks about it, as a church planter or a missionary. So that's not to say that itinerant preachers are sinful or wrong. Not at all. But just beware when you're reading in the Bible and you see the term evangelist. It's not evangelist like we think is an evangelist. I, so I'll just tell you, I have literally interacted with evangelists and I'm not, I'm not in the least being facetious, who believe that they bear the burden for many churches. And my response, and later I found for many others, was, well, I can relieve you the, bear, the burden of one church, because you ain't ever coming here. <laughs> you don't bear the burden for this church. That's, that's us and me. That's our job. Like, oh my goodness. And literally believing that somehow evangelists are some superior thing that pastors have to answer to evangelists. Like, where's that in here again? It's why I'm a little picky, because I, because I have been in what we call evangelism. I'm a little picky about who I bring in. And that, I'll just tell you, I've offended a few guys, not purposefully, like trying to be as calm and as, uh, probably guys I hadn't even talked to about coming in either. Like, well, you wouldn't have me? Um, I don't know, have you been a pastor? Well, I said, I'd have to talk to you, brother. I'd have to talk to see what you're doing, what you're, you know, who you are, what kind of ministry you have, and they're not all the same. If you're just teaching Baptist history, come on, I don't have a big problem with that. But if you're going to come and try to help my people, yeah, I think I'd like you to have pastored first. Amen. Anyways. So, the deacon and the evangelist. The deacon and the evangelist. And I guess I should have told you what we're going to be looking at next week. That's been my habit. Because we're done now with church officers. And we are moving on to, oh, what do you know? Baptism. Scriptural baptism. Baptism. I'm excited about this one because I've, I've listened to 
uh, several of Brother Gosnell's messages preaching when he preached Wednesday nights or taught Wednesday nights on baptism uh, here at Jerome Bible Baptist Church. So, amen. All right, let's have a word of prayer and we will be dismissed. And again, if, if you need the, the address from where Miss Rita is staying or uh, you'd like to take some food over to them, I, will, I have an address or, or directions if you'd need them to get you there. The Google Maps will not get you there, uh, but Apple Maps did get me there. So, all right, let's pray.